I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Romans, to chapter 5. We'll study verses 18 and 19. Romans chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. If you're visiting with us, you'll be unfamiliar with our custom of how we study the Bible. We study verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through entire books of the Bible. That means we don't skip difficult verses. We also don't overlook easy ones. We want to be people that receive the whole word of God because we believe that God ordains the words and their order. That the Lord is more wise than men and that as he has given us his word so we will study it week in and week out throughout the year. There is another benefit to this of course and that is that as a congregation it means that we read through entire books of the Bible together. That we read through entire books of the Bible not skipping and we receive benefit from it. Hear the reading of God's holy, inerrant, and inspired word. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. This is God's holy and inerrant word. May he add its truth and understanding to our minds and to our hearts. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who speaks. O Lord, that you have spoken and have proclaimed yourself loudly and clearly in 66 books. Father, we ask that this morning you would help us to understand your word. O Lord, that you would form us after your own desire through its teaching. Make us a holy people. O Lord, show to us the security we have in Christ. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Grace, grace. God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. This is a wonderful refrain from a hymn by Julia Johnston called Marvelous Grace of Our Loving Lord. And it has become for me one of my most favorite hymns to sing. And this morning as we come to this passage of scripture, I can just hear it echoing. In the heart of the Apostle Paul, the marvelous grace of Jesus Christ, the Lord and the Redeemer of the people of God. Here, as we come to this part of chapter 5, Paul is summing up the whole chapter. And he's bringing all the various pieces that describe the justifying grace of God into view and placing it into an understandable format. And so you may notice that there is one thing about this passage that is familiar, and that is it seems to repeat. It gives us some of the same teaching in different words and in maybe a more clear way than it did last week. And it's because Paul knows a thing about you and he knows a thing about me that we're hard of hearing and that we're forgetful. And so he repeats once more the truth of the grace of Christ. 
Now, there's something I just simply want to say is that my original preparation had four points. But as I mentioned in our announcement, the book of Romans is, well, not written for impatient pastors. So this morning we'll have two points for the sake of our time together. The first point that we're going to consider is from verse 18, and it is titled, The One Act. The One Act. And then in verse 19, The One Man. The one man. The one act and the one man. So let's turn our attention to the scriptures once more. Again, as I mentioned a second ago, what Paul has been focusing on is the doctrine of justification. Some theologians, as they've talked about, chapter 5 in the book of Romans have called it by the nickname, the book of justification by faith. And this may be really foreign language to you. And you may be sitting there saying, what in the world is justification? Well, I can put it in a very simple phrase. It is how we can stand before God righteous and not his enemy. How we can stand before God righteous and not his enemy. Kids, it means simply this. How can it be that God wouldn't be angry at you, a sinner? And Paul answers that question. And it's in very simple terms. He says, we can stand before God righteous, not as an enemy of God, simply by faith in Jesus Christ. Simply by faith in Jesus Christ. And so the whole chapter has been the explanation of this. And there are two things that Paul understands he needs to explain. And the first of them is this, our sinfulness. Because if we don't understand our sinfulness, how can we ever understand the second thing? And that is our need for and reception of a Savior in Jesus. And so those two things are held together in this passage of Scripture, just like they were last week in the verses that we studied. So verse 18, Paul begins in his logical discourse with these words, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. And we've got some explaining to do, don't we? Especially when we come into verse 18 and we begin the verse with therefore. Anytime in the Bible where you see the word therefore, there is a reason it is therefore, okay? So it's cluing you to the connection that this verse has with the verses previous. And what Paul has been teaching us about is the relationship of Adam, yes, that Adam, the one in the beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis, the first man, that he was the representative of the entire human race, and that when he fell, we all fell in him. So that one Adam, and then this second man, Jesus Christ and the work that he has done for all who will have faith in him, his justifying work and his death on the cross. But whenever Paul speaks about Adam in this verse, he speaks not about him very directly, but he speaks about the work or the act that he committed. And he calls it here, one trespass that led to condemnation. One trespass that led to condemnation. And so to back away from this and stand above it and look down on it, you're going to see on the ground written around this verse just one word, sin. He's talking about sin. 
Specifically, he's speaking about the first sin. That one trespass that he calls it. And that's what he wants us to consider right here at the beginning of verse 18. That sin is not just an abstract thing that Adam accidentally did as if he was ignorant of God and didn't know the command of God when in the garden he transgressed the law of God by taking the forbidden fruit. No, it's telling us that wasn't accidental, but it was a trespass. That's very significant. Because a trespass is not an accidental thing. It's a willful act. Now you may be sitting and thinking, well, I don't really talk in the language of trespass all that often. You know, Pastor, where are we going with this? And, and really, what does it mean? Well, you may not think in the terms of trespasses, but you certainly interact with trespasses and the warning against them constantly. When you drive down the Autobahn, there are constantly, constantly signs on the road that tell us exactly how fast we should be going, and they are warning, saying to us, do not go faster than 80 kms per hour. Do not go faster than 100 kms per hour. If you do, if you do, you'll break this warning, and we'll take a picture of your car and your happy face driving way too fast, and we'll send it to you in three months with a bill. Right? That's a trespass. Or maybe you're like me and occasionally you like to get out and you like to hike and go on the trails. We have so many wonderful trails. Well, I wonder if you've seen this sign. It's really, really common. It's got an eagle on it usually. And it says something to the essence of, uh, this is a Naturschutzgebiet. This is a protected area. Don't go off the trail here. There's an important animal. There's an important species of plant. Don't go off the trail here. If you do, you're trespassing into the habitat of this animal. You're breaking a law. And if you do, you're doing what we tell you not to do. Now, you've got to make a decision, don't you? Are you going to willfully go off the trail? Are you willfully going to trespass after seeing the sign? Are you going to do what you're told not to do? That's what a trespass is. It's knowing the right thing and doing the wrong thing. And what Paul is saying is that is exactly what that first sin was. That Adam was fully aware that God warned him very clearly not to take of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That he could take of every tree of the garden, but not that one. And the sin was what? Was it taking the fruit because the fruit was so special? Because it was some sort of rare, precious fruit that couldn't be gotten? No. The sin was trespassing the word of God. It was ignoring the word of God and doing whatever we wanted to do ourselves. That's what it was. That's what Adam did. The offense was because he did not listen to the word of God. And instead he did whatever he wanted to do. And what Paul is saying is that that had a horrible effect He's saying through that one trespass, that one sin, that one childly act of not heeding the warning, that that one thing plunged every person, every man, every woman, every child, me and all of you, under the condemnation of God. Under the condemnation of God. Now that's significant. And you may be sitting and you think, and maybe you're just like a normal person, and you just struggle 
with this sort of proposition that one act can have such a huge effect on everybody. You say, I don't know. Are we just overestimating Adam? Are we making one thing too important, too significant? I have a few different illustrations that I want to use to tease this out with you. I think we understand this. I I think we do. I think these are practical. That one act, one misstep, one transgression of not following the direction can radically have an effect and change things, can totally mess things up. Think of it like this. If you're following the instructions to make a pie, I made two of them for you to enjoy today. I hope that they got brought. But if you're following the instructions and it tells you to put in one cup of sugar and instead you put in one cup of salt, could you tell a difference? Yes. A cup of sugar and a cup of salt, you're radically going to taste it. You're going to probably think, wow, that is the worst pumpkin pie I've ever placed in my mouth. One misstep, huge impact. Here's another one. Now, men, if you've ever done this, don't admit to it. And ladies, don't tell your husband if this is a thing that's happened. Pumping diesel instead of petrol into your petrol car. You ever make that mistake? I haven't yet. Praise God. And if I had, I don't know, I'd tell you. Significant. You try to crank it, nothing's going to happen. What then do you have to do? Drain your entire tank and flush it so that the car will run once again. Maybe here's another. One act having huge impact. Maybe you forget that you let a candle and you went on to bed and the candle was near something very flammable. And the horror that could happen through the one act, the striking of a match and the forgetful mind that goes to bed. You wake up, the house is in flames. You're choking on smoke. Half the house is gone. God forbid you lose a loved one. God forbid you lose your own life. One act can have tremendous effects. But I think this might be one that every one of us are immediately familiar with and probably within 24 hours of when we're speaking right now. The one word or the one comment made out of anger or recklessness that harms and changes a relationship. You familiar with that? That phrase that's stuck in the ear and it's stuck in the mind and it's always there and it haunts you. I can't believe I said that to her, to him. I don't know if I'll ever forgive myself. She's forgiven me. He's forgiven me. I really messed it up. One act can have a huge impact. And what Paul's saying to us is that one trespass had a massive impact. And it had an impact between us, the creature, and the likeness of our God, our Creator. Our relationship was torn. It was ripped in two. It was damaged almost hopelessly. And he describes that by the word condemnation. Condemnation. A few weeks ago I was sitting with Haddon and we were talking through his children's catechism. And uh, one of the questions has to do with sin. And the question is uh, regarding it. And the answer goes like this. Uh, We have broken it and are condemned by it. 
talking about the covenant of, of works. We have broken it and we are condemned by it. And I looked at Haddon and we talked and I said, do you know what condemnation means? What condemned means? He's like, no. Like any kid. Oh. What does it mean? I said, it means being guilty. It means that the relationship that you once had of peace, is, it's not peace anymore. You're in trouble. You're under the wrath that you deserve. It's not just somebody's mean because they're angry and they're weak and they're having a bad moment. No, it's, it's anger that you deserve. It's guilt that you actually bear up unto you, onto yourself. And what Paul is saying is that one act, that one act of Adam, it changed everything and it made us all condemned and it brought us all under the anger and the wrath of God because we ourselves became guilty in his one single trespass. One act. You may ask the question, well, why is that? Well, let me remind you again. It's because Adam has a relationship to us. He was our representative when he first sinned. And so whenever he sinned, he sinned for us and in our place. And you may think, well, I struggle with that. I don't like that. I like casting my vote. The democratic process. I didn't vote for Adam. How could this be? I feel cheated. This is nothing that I would ever really want to do. I would have picked somebody better than Adam, but friend, you couldn't find one. Let me tell you a few things about Adam. He's not just a representative like a politician. He's not just any old person. He's not a pastor you did or didn't vote for. No, 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 no. Adam was the only man that he was sinless. Do you hear what I'm saying? First off, there was no other. Second off, he had perfection before the face of God. Now try to get your mind around that. I'll just tell you, I can't get my mind around it. I have a fallen mind and even the best perception of perfection that I can even conceive falls short. And the only way I can do that is to think on Christ. He's the only perfect one that I know. Anything I even get close to is just, it's too little. It's not enough. Adam didn't have a sin nature. He didn't have an angry heart. He didn't know what it felt like to have the effects of sin press on his body, on his soul, on his mind. He was a man made in the image of God and after his likeness who walked with God and spoke with him as his friend. He's a really, 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 really good representative if he is your representative. And Paul is saying he is. He is. Secondly, it's not only that he's sinless, but he's just like us, except he's much better. You think of your situation, you say, well, I don't like it. I don't like a situation where if I could vote, I could only vote for one. And, and that's what I'm stuck with. I'm stuck with Adam. But here's the reality. If you were to look at Adam, you would have seen the things that affirm who you are in the pieces of yourself that you're comfortable with. But in him, you would have found not a single thing objective. Not a single thing that you would have not liked. In fact, you would have thought, yes, he is certainly who I want to stand in my place. 
Moreover, friends, he did exactly what we would have done. And that's true, even if it makes us uncomfortable. The truth of Adam's representation is true whether we're okay with it or not. It's a truth pill we ought to just simply get over and deal with. You may say, well, I just still, it's just really hard. I just really struggle with it. I'm struggling with this whole passage already, Pastor. This is hard. I'm a visitor. This is tough stuff. Why would you ever preach this whenever you got visitors? And I just want to say, hold on, friends. It's not the end of the verse. Paul's not content just to tell you the bad news about condemnation through the one act of Adam. No, no, no. He's got something so much better. It's a full verse, not a half verse. And it says to us this. He says to us, Just as the one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so or so also one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Do you hear what he's saying? If we all fell in the one act of Adam, the one act of righteousness in Christ, one act changes everything if you were uncomfortable with the representation of Adam and the big mistake and the horror that his sin became for all of us then let me just simply say there is a wonderful remedy in the one act of Jesus Christ and you say well what is the act Jesus did lots of stuff he changed water into wine he raised dead children and adults He taught and preached wonderfully. What's a one-act pastor? What are you talking about? It's his death on the cross. That's what I'm talking about. That's what Paul is pointing to. The one act of righteousness. The death of Christ on the cross. As Adam represented us, Christ represented sinners that he would save when he, the sinless Lamb of God, when he stood in our place and took in his body and in his soul the condemnation that we deserve. In Adam we all fell, but in Christ, in Christ, We have an atonement for Adam's sin and our sins. But he calls it an act of righteousness. What does that mean? You've got to dig down and you've got to ask the Bible questions like that. If you're reading the Bible and you're not asking it questions, friends, you're not reading the Bible. Ask the Bible questions. What does he mean? Whenever he says it's one act of righteousness... That's not a throwaway term. Paul is describing the death of Christ on the cross in the terms of the sin of man being punished to its fullness. The holiness of God poured out on Christ. That every single sin that you or I have committed, if we believe in Christ, all of those sins were punished in the fullness in his body and in his soul as he suffered on that tree. 
so that righteousness would be done. So that God would punish our sins unto the sin's ultimate pain in the body of Christ. So that not one ounce of wrath was yet to be drunk. Not one angry emotion from the Father could be had against you or against me according to our sins. Our sins have been punished in full in the person of Christ. An act of righteousness as Jesus became our sacrificial lamb. The wrath of God satisfied and completely poured out on him. There's nothing left for you or me to drink except for the wonderful wine of heaven in Christ Jesus. That's what he's saying to you and to me here. And it's because Jesus died in our place. It's because there's no more wrath. Our sins have totally been dealt with. It's because of that that we can stand in the presence of God, not condemned and not guilty without his anger, but rather with his love, justified. So that the Father looks down from his throne and he judges our souls and he simply says, my beloved son or daughter, holy, righteous, beloved. Can you get behind that? Do you want the representation of that perfect man? That's marvelous grace. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that can cover all my sin. That's the sort of grace I want. That's the sort of grace every Christian has. That Jesus took the pain for our terrible condemnation and sin. Martin Luther thought over this when he wrote the second stanza of Einfestenberg, A Mighty Fortress. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. Were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. You ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Savaioth his name, from age to age the same. Jesus Christ the righteous sacrifice for sinners. How can a person be justified? Is it by your works, your church attendance, your Bible reading, all the good things you can muster in your heart and your mind, the good things you can say, the Bible verses you can memorize, the mission trips, the homeless you can feed, the giving you can give to the church, all these different things. No. It's through the one act of the death of Jesus Christ the sacrifice for sinners, that we can stand justified before the face of God. In verse 19, we see the one man. Paul continues, and there's continuity between verse 18 and 19, makes sense. They logically, numerically follow one another. Paul writes, For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. (coughs) So that by... The one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. 
And so in verse 18, we had the one trespass and the one act. And here we have the one man. In fact, the two of the one men, if you will. And there's this description of that first man, of Adam and his sin. It's called another thing. We've already heard it called a trespass. But here he calls it disobedience. It's an entirely different word. And if you were to take that word and you were to break it down into constituent parts and just like a caveman translate the original Greek, you would come out with, yes, the meaning of disobedience, but to willfully not listen. To willfully not listen. That's really what's at the heart of the word here that we in English translate disobedience. I think it's perfectly in line with that English word, but it puts it into a little bit of perspective. That the one man's willful act of not listening, his disobedience, that that made all, or that made many sinners, what Paul says. Are you picking up on some of the differences here? Because we've already talked about the one trespass that made us all condemned. That there's like the word of God against us in condemnation saying that you're guilty. But here it says we're different. It's not just that we're people that have a word against us as if you're guilty and these are the five things you're guilty of. Rather, you become a different thing is what he's saying. He's saying whenever Adam willfully didn't listen to God, whenever he willfully sinned against God, whenever he did not do what God told him to do, and when he did what God told him never to do, we were made sinners. Not just to condemn people. It wasn't a hate the the sin and love the sinner situation. It's the sinner themselves with a heart and a mind conditioned to sin. So in verse 18, you may have said, well, I don't really like Adam's representation. And maybe here you say it again. I don't like that Adam made me a sinner. I don't like this at all. But let me just simply say, Paul's saying something about us here. It's not that we just receive the guilt for his sin, but that our hearts, ourselves, our minds conceive our own sin and commit them ourselves. He was the first trespasser, but we've all joined him. In the act of sinning. That's the picture. It's pretty terrible. It's pretty terrifying. And it's one of those things that you just got to grapple with. You got to deal with it. You got to look in yourself. You have to ask yourself the question. Well, you know, pastor, I got it. You know, Adam, he messed us all up. But let me ask you the question. And you got to ask yourself this. How about you? How about me? How have we done it? And committed what is against the word of God in our own hearts, our own minds, our own lives, our deeds and actions. Because that's what's being said here. Adam has dirty hands and so do you and me. But again, if that makes you uncomfortable, it's not the end of the verse. You're only halfway through. If you're saying, I don't like that guilt and that guilt by association and then that guilt of my own work. If I don't like that, let me just tell you, there's good news on the other side. If by that one man we all became a sinful people, children of wrath like the rest of mankind, uh, there's good news. It's this. 
If it was Adam's disobedience that did that to us, that there's another man. So that by the one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Do you hear what he's saying here? He's saying, if Adam plunged you into an identity of sin and a lifestyle under the wrath that is according to that, that whenever Jesus obeyed the Father unto death, his righteousness is poured out upon you in a great abundance. It's so wonderful. Jesus was obedient where Adam was disobedient. He looked at the sign, he followed its direction, and he never sinned against the Father. And those acts, that righteousness and his death in our place is yours, Christian, if you have faith in him. But friends, I want to point out something to you that is so wonderful about this passage. It's why you should read your Bible slowly. Verse 19 There was an act of disobedience where men were made sinners. That's past tense, a single action and a reality. But look at this. That by that other man, the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. The future continual outpouring of the righteousness of of Jesus like an ever-flowing stream that never runs out, that never exhausts, poured out on the Christian and into your life and into your heart. That Jesus' obedience becomes your obedience. Jesus' righteousness is your righteousness. It's not just that you stand before the Father, not guilty, but now you stand before Him holy and righteous and beautiful in Jesus as if you never sinned. And it's not just something you have received, but it's something that you're getting more and more of. It's like a wine bottle that you can turn entirely vertical upside down and it pours and pours and pours and pours and the wine gets sweeter and sweeter and sweeter and sweeter and more wonderful. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that can pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace, That is greater than all my sins. That's what Paul is telling you and me. That the righteousness of Jesus that we have through his death on the cross is so much more than the worst thing we could ever do. And is poured out in excess of the numerous sins even that we've forgotten and have yet to commit. His grace is never stale. It's always sweet. And so friends, I ask you this morning, do you know this Christ? Christian, is the work of Christ for you that justifying grace, just something in the rear view mirror? Is he back there, that thing way back there? Or is this the sweet and wonderful Lord you know right now? Do you drink of this every morning and every evening? Do you return to this wonderful grace, this righteousness, this obedience of the Son who loved the Father and did exactly what He said? Do you return to that whenever your heart doesn't love the Father? Whenever you sin and fall flat on your face, do you return to it? 
to receive the mercy of his cross, strength to put sin to death. The comfort of the cross that says to you simply this, yes, you have sinned, but Christ has died for sinners. And friend, if you don't know Christ this morning and you're coming and you're listening, I want to simply say to you the thing that you probably assume, this is all true. And apart from Christ, these verses are only read in half for you. And if this frightens you and if it bothers you and you say to yourself, I don't like that Adam is my representative. I don't like this. I don't like it. I don't want to have him. Well, there's another man who's been obedient for you if you would have him by faith. It's really simple. It's not about what you do. It's not about how bad you are. And it's certainly not about how good you are. Would you put your trust in him and cling to him? You'll receive exactly this. I don't want anything from you. But Christ will give everything to you. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the scriptures. Lord, for the height and the depth of them. We ask that, Lord, you would help us to understand the things that we've heard. Lord, give us some basic, tiny taste of the wonderfulness of the truth of the cross of Christ. Oh, Father, help us to cling to him and to know him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.